everyone, before you get started on this episode, I just want to let everybody know that I have renamed the show Historically Haunted, and I also changed up my formula from the episode. So what you're about to listen to is an older version of the show. The new show is a lot better. I hope you guys stick around to listen to the much newer episodes that started at episode 18. Also, if you want to get in touch with me, I'm now at Historically Haunted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you guys want to email me any personal paranormal experiences or just say hi, you can email me now at historicallyhaunted.313 at gmail.com. And I have my links to all my new stuff down below. So I hope you guys enjoy and I hope you guys stick around for the newer stuff. All right, let's roll that old tape. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode five of History and Mystery. If you love history, monsters, and creepy stories, then this is the show for you. Come with me to the unknown realm of hauntings, monsters, and UFO sightings. I post a new show every other Sunday. I am your host, Ariel, and I cannot believe that I am on episode five already. This week's episode is about a monster named the Snallygaster and a haunted estate named the Barnsley Resorts. Before I get into all that and a few reviews I got, I would like to say that my thoughts and prayers are with all the people in the Bahamas right now and anyone in the South that is being um, affected by Hurricane Dorian. Seeing the photos and videos of the Bahamas, it's like watching a disaster movie and it makes me really sad to see that kind of damage. I just hope that people will be able to get the help they need quickly so that they can start rebuilding their lives. And... I know that I, for one, will be definitely finding a good disaster relief company to donate some money to this week, and I don't know. I I feel like that's the least I could do. I wish I could do more. Anyway, it's just, it's awful and really, really sad, and my thoughts and prayers are with everybody in this situation. And if you hear crickets and cicada bugs behind me, uh... It's too hot for me to close my window. I tried to record this and I got like sweated out of my room. It's in the middle of the night and it's just way too hot. So sorry about the background noise, but luckily it's just the sound of nature. So Halloween is only two months away from this week and I'm really excited about it. And I would love to do some listener stories. I know that I am personally going to do a listener story of, well, my own story, not a listener story, my personal story of what happened to me when I first saw a ghost for the first time. So if anyone has a personal paranormal story or even just a monster of the week suggestion, or they just want to say hello, I would love for you to email me at historyandmystery.13 at gmail.com. I also have a Twitter account and a Facebook account and a Facebook group page that is under the same name, which is History and Mystery. And I also have an Instagram account that you can find. Uh, the account name is history underscore mystery 13. So uh, please give me a follow. I'd love to connect with you guys. 
And last but certainly not least, I am finally on Spotify. Yes, I have been dealing with them for a long time and it's been like the hardest thing ever to get my podcast on there for some reason after being with technical support and emailing, which they don't do phone connection yet. So that was really frustrating. But after a million emails, I finally got through and my podcast is now up on Spotify. So I'm really happy about that. And uh, just a reminder to everyone, uh, please subscribe to my podcast and please give this show a review. I would really appreciate those. Speaking of reviews, I got my first review on iTunes and I got a few comments on the Facebook group as well. So I, my dream was to read them if I ever got them. So I'm definitely going to be doing that. But I just wanted to have a disclaimer that I will never use anyone's last name unless they give me permission. So I will always only use just their first name and then of course their usernames if it was just a username. So my very first iTunes review was from Dude It's Jim, which I love that username by the way. He said, three episodes in so far and I love it. I hope it takes off and lasts. It's the first podcast for me that I got to start listening to in the early stages. Also, I am extra, I think he meant excited. I am excited to see where it goes. If you like History Goes Bump, Hillbilly Horror Stories, or Graveyard Tales, then this is for you. In the third episode, she said she didn't want them to run too long. IMO. I wouldn't mind if it went a little longer if needed. And oh my gosh. So thank you so much for that lovely review. I am really excited. Oh, and they also gave me five stars, by the way. Um, but I am I'm so excited because those the podcasts that he mentioned are all my favorites too. So that makes me super excited and, and lets me know that I'm doing a pretty good job for my first ever podcasting uh, in my life. So thank you again so much for that review. And I, um, if everybody else would love to leave a review at the bottom, I will read them on the uh, podcast. And, and thank you, thank you, thank you a million. A guy named Robert uh, commented on the Facebook uh, page that he said, I have downloaded the show and would like to join the Facebook group, please. So I added him to the Facebook group and then we discussed that he told me something really neat that he only lived about 10 miles away from where the Donna Reed's party trouble started and we got talking on that and this is the stuff I love because I love history so much and I love to talk and communicate like connect with other people over these historical times uh, in our past and thank you so much Robert I hope you are enjoying the show and the last one I have is from a, per a guy named Jim, and he said, love the podcast. I left a positive five-star review on iTunes with a smiley face. So thank you so much for that, Jim. And those are all the ones I have for this week, but I am so excited that I have any at all. And don't worry, I will be continuing to make this podcast as long as I can because I really love it. I'm doing this more as a hobby, and the more people I connect with, I think is fantastic, but it's really just to keep me busy during the week when I have a couple days off from work. I needed something to do, and so I decided to do a podcast, and it's working out pretty good for me so far. And I also really quickly just wanted to give a huge uh, thank you to Diane from uh, the show History Goes Bump. She was so kind to uh, post about my podcast on her personal History Goes Bump page. And I just, that just made my day. And that was amazing. And thank you so much because I think I picked up a few listeners from that. And um, I just, 
love Diane so much. Like, I don't, I have never met her, but I feel like I know her a lot. We've connected uh, over the last year pretty well, and I'm now a Patreon of her show. And I just, I love History Goes Bump so much. And you guys should all check out History Goes Bump. If you, if you like what I'm doing, you'll definitely love History Goes Bump. Trust me. Uh, she is just, she inspired me to do this show, actually. Her and a handful of other podcasters, but her in particularly. And um, yeah, it's just incredible. And I was scared to make this, actually, because I was afraid she'd think I was stealing her thunder. But she's not at all. She's very supportive. And just thank you so much, Diane. Yes, History Goes Bump. Go check it out. Once again, a big thank you so much to all of those people who really took the time out of their day to let me know that I'm doing a good job. So thank you all so much. I really appreciate it. And I am so glad that I can bring some fun and history into your lives. And I hope to continue for doing it for a long time to come. And I hope that I will continue to grow my podcast so that everybody will hopefully fall in love with history all over again or just continue their love for it. And... Fun fact of the week, I broke my toe this week. This is the last update about me, I swear. But yeah, I accidentally, um, so this is the story. I was in my room and I was starting to smell something like burnt popcorn. And then I realized, oh my God, I left popcorn in the microwave. So I turned around really fast to run out of my room to get the popcorn. And I don't know what happened. My hair must have gone in my front of my eyes or something, but I didn't see the doorway that was open facing me. And I pretty much soccer kicked, like, because I was running. Like, I started running, and I kicked the heck out of my door, and I broke my toe. And it hurts so bad, and it's the it's the one right in from the pinky toe. So, I don't know. It just, it really hurts. And, of course, you know, so I went to the doctor, and there's nothing they could do for it. So, all I'm doing is just resting. All I did was give me an ugly boot. And that was pretty much my day. But, I mean, it's worked out okay. On the days I'm off of work, I sit at home. And if it wasn't for this podcast, honestly, I'd probably be driven crazy. So I'm glad I have this podcast right now for that. Yeah, uh, broken toes are not fun. Okay, that's enough about me. Let's get on with the history and the monster of the week. monster of the week is called the Snallygaster. The Snallygaster is a cryptid that has been reportedly seen in the areas of Maryland and Virginia, but its home is said to dwell in the Blue Ridge Mountains. Descriptions of this beast vary, but the one that I could find the most is that it looks like a half dragon, half bird, but in some sightings it has tentacles that come out of its mouth, which is a razor sharp metallic beak. I know, it sounds really weird, and when you look up a picture of this thing, it's just as weird. When I looked up an illustration of this, I'm sorry to say it, but it just looks ugly. The illustration showed this. It has a dragon-type body with wings that have feathers like a bird. It has sharp talons on its back feet like a hawk, but it has arms that look kind of like mini dragon arms. And then it's truly bizarre to look at, and it has this razor-sharp beak that is a metallic color, and then when it opens its mouth in the illustrations, tentacles come out, which I think is really interesting. It is truly bizarre to look at, and it is even more bizarre to learn about. 
This creature is said to silently swoop down from the sky and it's unexpecting prey. And there have been reports of the beast attacking man, but it mostly is reported of snatching up livestock, pets, and even young children. The Indians who were in the area before even have drawn uh, cave depictions of this beast. And But it wasn't until the 1730s that the white men would finally see the Snallygaster and report it for the first time. This area of the United States was settled by mostly German immigrants. And they had run-ins with the cryptid, naming it the Schnallygister. And that's German for quick spirit. The area of this early settlement is now known as Middletown Valley. The Snallygaster is not the only cryptid in the woods in this area. Apparently, the Snallygaster has a mortal en enemy. <laughs> that enemy is called the Dawingo, and the Dawingo is said to be basically a wolf that walks on its back legs. It has dark fur, a face and a nose like a wolf, with a long, bushy tail, and standing, it is about six feet tall. German immigrants also claimed to have run-ins with the Dawingo as well. People claim that the creature lets out a terrifying screams at night while hunting in the woods. I'm not sure exactly why they are supposed to be en enemies of each other, though. It doesn't make much sense because every article I found just said that that is his enemy, and I never found out why <laughs> they're supposed to hate each other. But for a long time, uh, the Snallygaster was just a legend until 1909 when it made its first newspaper debut. During February and March of 1909, encounters between the Snallygaster and townsfolk of Middletown Valley and the papers went crazy. One article said that a creature with gigantic wings, a long pointed bill, and big claw-like talons <laughs> was attacking animals and scaring locals. Some accounts even had made it out to have a screeching sound like a locomotive whistle. Sightings and reports of it attacking people and animals started to flood in the, into the local newspapers and even the sheriff's department until it got big enough uh, and it hit the big time papers. It was so well publicized that even Teddy Roosevelt, yes, Theodore Roosevelt, the United States 26th president, saw an article of this beast in one of the big time papers, and he allegedly declared that he wanted to go on a hunting expedition to exterminate the beast himself. After this, there was no more sightings. Now, that's where the skeptics will come in and say that this was all a hoax, and once it got to the president, the person was afraid and... Uh, didn't want him coming, so it all went away really fast. It was just a ploy to sell more papers and boost tourism, but it does not explain actual documented sightings from all over the state for hundreds of years before and after the articles made it famous. The Snallygaster is now famous once again, but not for attacking people. This time it's famous for beer. That's right, the Snallygaster Beer Fest is named after the Snallygaster himself. The Snallygaster Beer Fest is going to be held on Saturday, October 21st, 2019 on Pennsylvania Avenue Northwest, downtown Washington, D.C. This is the description I picked up straight from their website. It says, quote, Snallygaster is the district's beastliest beer festival, bar none. And on October 12th, 2019, the monster makes its triumphant return to the D.C. area for its eighth year as a rockin' salute to craft beers. Festival goers can expect 
an unbelievable array of no fewer than 400 highly sought-after beers on draft and from 150-plus of the finest American and international producers set against the backdrop of local food trucks and two stages of live music, unquote. It is the eighth year doing the Beer Fest, and it sounds like a really fun time to me. I definitely would want to check that out. Uh, you can find out about this fest at snallygasterdc.com, and they talk about the legend on the website as well, and they also have some really cool passes named after other really neat cryptids, like there's one called the Basilisk and one called the Kraken. I think that's really awesome. While this beer fest sounds like a really fun time and a cool way to keep the Snallygaster alive, I do know one thing, real or not, this is definitely one cryptid I do not want to come across in the woods. episode when I said that I would definitely be coming back to Savannah, Georgia? Well, I will. And sometime soon. Trust me. But today's episode brings us back to the state of Georgia, just not Savannah. Well, Savannah is mentioned a bit. If you want a brief overview of that amazing city, please check out my last episode. Episode four was on Savannah's pirate house. Because of that, I was not going to even do this location this week. I was going to put it on my list of things to do later. But the more I dove into the history, the more hooked I became, and I could not wait to do this location, so I just had to do it. The location is now called the Barnsley Resort, or also known as the Barnsley's Gardens. It is located in Adairsville, Georgia, and oh my gosh, talk about crazy history and legends attached to this property. It's got love. It's got loss. It's got a curse. It has murder and all tied up in a Civil War skirmish, then abandoned for 40 years, and you have a perfect cocktail for hauntings. But how did this property even get its name in the first place, plus all that tragedy? Well, it all started with a man named Godfrey Barnsley. Godfrey Barnsley was born in Dubshire, England on August 26, 1805. His father's name was George Barnsley. He was an English cotton mill owner and his mother's name was Anna Goodwin Barnsley. He had an older brother whose name was Joshua Barnsley. Now, Godfrey Barnsley started working in his uncle's cotton importing establishment. He learned all he needed to know from that job and took the knowledge with him to America. Barnsley was not rich by any means at this point. He, in fact, didn't have a higher education and when he left, he barely had any money in his pocket. At barely 18 years old, he left Liverpool, England and... When Barnsley arrived in America in 1824, he was ready to make his fortune. He moved straight to Savannah, Georgia. Within only five years, he went from being a total nobody to one of the South's most richest and one of the most 10 affluent men in the South. How did he do that, you might ask? Well, like I said in my last episode, by this time in America's South, cotton was king, and Barnsley knew it was too late to start up his own plantation when so many families 
had already been so well established. So instead of growing it, he decided to help ship it. He expanded and the new way of shipping cotton all across the world, and he became one of the biggest cotton brokers and most important men in the cotton trade. He also was appointed the president of the Savannah Chamber of Commerce for a few years. While living in Savannah, he met the love of his life, a woman named Julia Henrietta Scarborough. Julia was the daughter of a wealthy shipbuilder merchant named William Scarborough. You can imagine with those two money makers combined, they went from super rich to mega rich. So naturally they got married in 1828. Barnsley was 25 years old at the time and the marriage happened on December 24th, 1828. They lived happily in Savannah and had eight children together. That is until Julia got sick. Her health began to decline fast due to having tuberculosis and Barnsley loved her so much that he would move his whole family to North Georgia where he believed that the air and climate was better for Julia. Barnsley went off to look for new land that was just open for sale due to Andrew Jackson's Indian Removal Act of 1830, which of course caused the Trail of Tears. The Trail of Tears was when the Indians were forcibly removed off their land and many died because they were basically marched to death. Uh, that's one of the worst things that white Americans ever did right up there with slavery, in my opinion. Something to put in the back of your brain for later. The Trail of Tears passed over the land that Barnsley was about to buy. Already one tragedy before the land was even bought by Barnsley. Once Barnsley found the perfect location on a survey expedition with three friends, he purchased the 4,000 acres in the small village of Adairsville in North Georgia. He wanted a place that was far away from the extreme heat in the big city to keep Julia from getting yellow fever and malaria that was plaguing the area at the time. Now, here's where the urban legend and the curse come in. And also the Trail of Tears I said would be coming into play later as well. So I saw this on some websites and others never even brought it up. So it's just that, a legend. But I'm going to say it because of the lack of history about it. I can't say if it happened or not, but I'm going to tell you the urban legend part of the story anyway. The story goes that when Barnsley and his friends first came to the area to scout the land, they ran into an Indian. Now, some websites said it was a chief and others say he was a Cher just a Cherokee Indian. Well, Barnsley told him he could stay on the property and kind of befriended him after he bought the land. But when Barnsley told him of the plan to build the mansion, either the man warned Barnsley of a curse left by the Trail of Tears Indians that were forcibly um, removed and had to pass through the area, or and other articles said that the man himself cursed him for wanting to develop on sacred land. Whether a warning or he cursed the place, the legend ends with him leaving. And it's not said if he left to protect himself from the curse or if he left because he cursed the land himself. Now, I would not doubt that there could have been a curse put on this land without the knowledge of Barnsley because the Trail of Tears was an awful thing and there could have been a lot of sad and angry energy there at this time that was extremely fresh uh, when he got the property. So even if it wasn't a curse, I definitely agree that there could have been some really bad energy there anyway. Either way, whether he ignored the curse or there was no curse at all, 
Barnsley went on to build his mansion. He wanted it to be beautiful for his wife, so he created a beautiful garden estate in the style of Andrew Jackson Downing. Downing was a big-time landscaper at this time, and he was known for being one of America's first and best landscaper architects. Barnsley placed the house on a hill, and when it was done, it had the most modern amenities. It was one of the first places to have hot and cold running water, an Italian marble inside with 25 rooms. The gardens were going to be all exotic plants no one in the area had ever seen the like of before. But before it could be completed, tragedy struck. Right after he moved his whole family to the property, things started to go downhill for the whole family. First, his infant son died. Then the summer in 1845, Julia succumbed to her fight with tuberculosis. This would only be the start of bad luck. Barnsley was so grief-stricken over the passing of Julia that he stopped construction altogether and left the property for more than a year. In 1846, he went back to the property for a night. And during his sleep, he claimed that Julia came to him in spirit form and told him that he needed to finish the house for future generations of their family. So he thought that Julia was guiding him. So he went back to the property and he ended up completing the work that year. By 1848, the Barnsley's gardens and the mansion that was called Woodlands were complete. Inside the Woodlands was immaculate. Barnsley had traveled abroad to find beautiful French and Italian furnishing. While on his trip, he found many beautiful exotic plants to bring back for his gardens as well. For a time, it was a peaceful place. That is, until the Civil War started in 1861 and ended in 1865. During the war, Barnsley started to lose all of his money. All cotton lost its value, and all the cotton that he was going to ship ended up rotting in a warehouse. Then the Battle of Adairsville happened on the grounds, and it caused unfathomable damage to the whole property. A friend of Barnsley, who was in the war at the time, um, Confederate side, I believe, Colonel Robert G. Earle ran to the Barnsley's gardens in an attempt to warn them of the coming battle and that Sherman's march was coming right for the house when he was shot and killed by Union soldiers before he could make it. Barnsley saw him laying out in the yard and he ended up burying his friend in a field behind the mansion itself. Once Sherman's troops got to the house, they did not burn it to the ground, but they did steal and smash anything and everything they could. They occupied the grounds of the house for a little bit as well before they moved on. When they finally left the place, it was in ruins. Barnsley was so grief-stricken over what had happened to his property, he moved to New Orleans to try to get rich again and try to save what he could. His daughter Julia married a Confederate Army captain named James Baltzell. And he worked as a timber and shipper um, from the Woodlands area, but sadly, he was killed by a falling tree in 1868. So Julia ended up moving uh, to New Orleans to be with her father, with her daughter, Adeline. While in New Orleans, she met another man named Charles Henry von Schwartz, who was a German ship captain. Fun fact, Julia is said to be the inspiration for the tough, no-nonsense character of Scarlett O'Hara in Margaret Mitchell's Gone with the Wind. Meanwhile, her father, Godfrey Barnsley, went from being the poorest man to the richest and back to the poorest again when he died in 1873. He was brought back to the estate to be buried on it. After her father's death, Julia and her new husband tried to bring the estate back to its former glory. Her daughter Adeline grew up on the estate and married a chemist named A.A. A. Sailor. 
They had two sons named, one was named Henry and the other was Preston. While their boys were young, their father Sailor died on the estate and Julia's second husband also died on the estate while Julia lived out her days on the estate until her death. More bad luck struck the family again when a tornado took the roof off the mansion and forced Adeline and her two sons to move into the kitchen to live for a time. When the two boys were grown, Preston Sailor became a champion boxer. He fought under the name... K.O. Duggan. One thing for sure about this family is when things seem to go good again, something dark seems to happen out of nowhere. The two brothers, now grown adults, got into a heated argument over who gets the property, and Preston pulled a gun out and shot his brother, Harry. And the saddest part was Harry died in his mother's arms in the front room of the mansion. Preston was arrested and admitted to killing his brother, and he was sent to prison. Adeline died in the home in 1942. After her death, the whole estate was sold at auction. This is the first time somebody outside of the family would own the property. But the person who ended up buying the property only used it for farming, and the whole estate fell into disrepair and just fell apart. The house became nothing more than an empty shell, and today it still looks like a ruin. Since the auction in 1942, the house and the grounds were pretty much empty until 1988 when Prince Herbert Fungier purchased the whole estate, including the ruins and the old mansion. And I had to do some digging on this prince. He's the Prince of Swabinia, a place that I don't even know where that is. I think it's in Austria somewhere. Yeah, yeah, it's Austria, according to Google. I just looked it up. Sorry, excuse my ignorance. I'm not very good at world geography. Anyways, he was kind of a closet historian himself and loved history. So when he found the property, he fell in love and he wanted to restore it to its original beauty. So he looked at the original plans of the gardens and the mansion just to get inspiration for the grounds. Today, it is now one of the few antebellum gardens left in the southern United States. There are 200 varieties of roses in the gardens today and the ruins of the old mansion have been restored, literally frozen in time. In 1991, it was opened as a historical gardens and museum and then in 1999, it opened as the Barnsley's Resort and is an English-inspired village. They offer cottages... Um, guest cabins, golf courses, a spa, restaurants, along with lots of outdoor activities such as horseback riding, shooting areas for shooting clay discs, and they also have various hiking trails. In 2004, the Prince sold the resort to a private family in northern Georgia. They now have added to the activity list and expanded the whole area. In 2016, they built what they call Georgian Hall, and that has 150 guest rooms and suites, and they now host weddings and entertainment, and they also have a fairy godmother, which is a woman who makes wishes come true for all special occasions. They even have some cottages that are now pet-friendly, and I thought that was really cool. With so much to do during the day, it is easy to forget about the curse that is still might be on the property. Just in 2013, a sad thing happened on the property. A man committed murder-suicide. A recently divorced Robert Brazel went to the property where his ex-wife worked and shot her while she was working in a boutique on the resort's grounds. Then he fled into the woods, causing a manhunt until they found him dead of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. That is really sad that that happened so recently. I was shocked. I expected to find nothing new. And then when I found that article, it really, I was like, what the? Anyway, it's just really sad. And I hope that never happens again because this place looks really cool. Um, you can go on their website and find all the information there. But as sad as that is, could it be that this land is, might be still cursed? And what of all that energy of the tragic deaths around the property? 
And could there be spirits still hanging around? With an abandoned skeleton of a mansion, a hundred plus years old gardens and wooded areas surrounding the property, it's got to have a creepy vibe, at the very least at night. Ghost stories and legends about this property started long before it was even a resort that welcomed guests from all over the world. I'm going to post a photo of this place on my Instagram page just so you can all see how amazing this place still looks today, but also how cool it is just to see a skeleton of an old mansion with vines climbing up the walls. They have left it frozen in time. Today, photo shoots, weddings, and events can now happen within the structure. Because this resort is now for the higher-end clientele, I noticed that they tend to gloss over some of the more disturbing history of on the resort's website. They also don't talk about the ghosts at all. Some locations embrace it, but this place is not one of them. However, lots of different types of paranormal experience have still been reported. Visitors to the resort have claimed to see Godfrey Barnsley himself walking or drifting throughout the mansion's ruins. He has been seen on the floors that have no longer there, and he's looking out windows, as well as he is seen walking throughout the garden grounds. Julia Barnsley's ghostly apparition has been seen gliding throughout the home and in the gardens as well. It is said that her favorite place to hang out is by the fountain in the middle of the gardens and that's where you usually see her spirit the most. This property and the surrounding areas has more than just an empty old mansion on it in the new lodging. There is also the Adair house, and this is not technically on the property, but apparently it's near it. I ran into it a lot in articles that talked about the Barnsley Resort. This is now a bed and breakfast, but the mansion, but the house itself was built in 1895 by Dr. James Bradley. Ghost stories of a young girl playing in the attic and around the grounds have been seen. People have reported seeing the attic light turn on and off at night with no when no one is up there with no explanation. Employees have said that they brought toys to the attic for the girl only to come back later to see that they have been moved as though someone was playing with them while there was no one in the room. The little girl is also said to be seen peeking behind doorways and down through the staircase as well as child laughter is heard and strange lights have been seen in and around the home and the resort area as well. I found a fun article on a blog named Chipper that is the student news site for Cartersville High School and this article was written on October 26, 2018 by a kid named Presley Edwards. In it he talked about his father who worked at the resort and his father claimed that at night when he was driving his golf cart around the resort around 3 a.m. He would hear little girls laughter off in the distance, as if they were playing on the resort's grounds. But of course, you know, when he looked around a little bit, there was always no one there. And child laughter creeps me out. I don't know if it creeps anyone else out as much as I do, but child ghost laughter just freaks me out. Actually, child ghosts in general just scare me to my core. Because some people believe that there are no such things as child ghosts, that they're maybe something demonic or evil portraying as a child and that that always freaks me out too. Other ghost stories I found um, were of a confederate soldiers. Um, some people um, claim to have spotted 
different types of Confederate soldiers in the woods around the property, but the most seen Confederate ghost that I could find was that of Colonel Robert G. Earle, the man who was killed during the battle when he was trying to warn the Barnsleys that the Sherman advance was coming. Um, His ghost has been seen uh, wandering around the grounds, and once spotted, he just seems to fade away before people's eyes. I've never, I didn't come across anything where he interacts at all. I think it might be just a residual haunting with him. Cold spots, weird voices, um, hearing doors slam, that is reported throughout the entire property. Ghost lights in the woods, as well as eerie feeling, and also sometimes a feeling of dread, have been reported all throughout the property. And the last place that has a super haunted reputation is known as the Rice House. Today, uh, it is a restaurant on the resort's grounds, and it is a restored 19th century farmhouse. The most seen ghost at the Wright House is of a tall man in a suit wearing a top hat. He is seen standing with his arms crossed, just staring at guests and employees before vanishing. And while the employees are closing up for the night, footsteps can be heard and doors opening and closing on their own, as well as also slamming doors at times. The last things that I kept coming across was people in this area still think that this place is super haunted and also super cursed. A lot of the locals don't even think it should be a resort on the area. Some articles I came across, people will refuse to go there and think that it still shouldn't be uh, anything. But I always find that weird because people, locals are still living on that land. That was technically the whole land. It's not just like the ownership of Barnsley. So I always find that weird when people are like, that land's cursed, but they only live like so far away. How is it that your section of your land isn't cursed? That always weirds me out. Cursed or not, the ghost stories of this place sound really creepy. never been to this resort it does sound like it's haunted to me this resort also sounds like a beautiful place to stay i would like to go there just to be surrounded by all the history of it i hope that you all have enjoyed episode five i had a lot of fun talking about the barnsley resort anything that is this rich in history is bound to have things that are still staying around Just a final reminder to please subscribe to my podcast and please leave me a review. I'm always open to new suggestions and new ideas. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And my email address is historyandmystery.13 at gmail.com. I hope that you all have a fantastic two weeks. Take care and have fun. And I will see you all back here for episode six soon. Bye!